Today on Blue 58, the Packers aren't getting much from their inside linebacker position right now. Why and what can they do about it? Spoiler alert for that second one, not much. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I've said repeatedly on this show that one of the things that I like about this format is just kind of the rhythm of these shows. We can do a recap podcast of the game that happens over the weekend, early in the week, a preview post, podcast, whatever, uh, late in the week. And then kind of in the middle, we can get a little bit weird. We can look at things really specifically. And my plan for this episode was to look at a bunch of things, to ask questions about a variety of different parts of the roster, to get some of your questions. But when I threw out the invitation on Twitter uh, to send in questions or to submit questions, Everyone seemed to have the same thing on their mind, and perhaps that's the way that I've, I've framed the question or whatever, saying that I was planning to talk about Blake Martinez. Uh, but all the questions that I got were more or less about inside linebackers. So rather than talking about those for a little bit and then some of the other stuff I wanted to talk about, let's take advantage of the way that this podcast sort of works and talk about one thing really in depth. Why aren't the Packers getting much from their inside linebackers? The inside linebacker that they have who plays the most isn't playing very well this year. Blake Martinez is not having a great season. A bunch on him in a second. The Packers are also having problems here because the guy who plays the next most is pretty limited. B.J. Goodson is fine for what he is, but why do you think he was available for a sixth-round pick? Then you've got the guy who was supposed to make a big impact who can't get on the field. That's Oren Burks. He was hurt to start this season, so that really put a damper on things for him. And when he has been available, he just hasn't played. Here's his last five games. He played 11 snaps against Dallas, 5 against the Lions, 14 against the Oakland Raiders, 0 defensive snaps against the Chiefs, and 11 against the Chargers. Not super great. Then you've got the hybrid linebacker safety types, the safeties really who play linebacker. They've hardly been around. Raven Green played a ton in week one, but then left after 15 snaps in week two, and we haven't seen him since. He's been on injured reserve. Ibrahim Campbell, meanwhile, just came off the physically unable to perform list, and it's really yet to be determined how much he is going to make an impact this season. So we're going to talk a little bit about Blake Martinez here, and then I'll get to your questions to kind of touch on just about every other guy on the roster that could make a difference at inside linebacker while also looking a little bit towards the future. Is this going to be fixable in the offseason, perhaps as a free agent with a free agent signing or in the draft? But let's start with Blake Martinez. Late in the offseason, we talked about him uh, from the standpoint of whether or not the Packers should re-sign him. He is in a contract year. And it's a fair question. Should the Packers look at bringing him back and ultimately decide to do so? I said I didn't think I would resign him for kind of a few broad stroke reasons. Blake Martinez has never been a super great athlete. He doesn't make a lot of positive impact in pass coverage. In the pass game or the run game, he doesn't make a lot of plays on the ball. And the skills that he does have are fairly replaceable. Mostly, I think you can characterize Blake Martinez for the balance of his career as a guy who's just kind of there. 
The things that he does well just involve showing up and being available. But this year, I think he's been actively making the Packers' defense worse. Let's look at those things again, those four things that we identified. First, not a great athlete. This is still true. Uh, despite all the coming in with the or being in the best shape of his life stuff that we saw this offseason, he still is pretty much the same guy that we, we always saw. Uh, not particularly fast, not particularly explosive, not necessarily bad, just not great among a ton of great athletes on defense throughout the league. That hasn't changed. He's not great in coverage still. That's the second point. Here's some numbers to back that up. According to Pro Football Reference, opposing teams have completed 89% of their passes when throwing at Blake Martinez. When he is the primary defender in coverage, you're going to complete the pass almost 90% of the time when you're throwing at Blake Martinez. To put an even finer point on that, he's actually, it could be worse. According to Sports Information Solutions, opposing quarterbacks have a deserved catch rate of about 95% when throwing at Blake Martinez. And they define deserved catches as this. A deserved catch percent is the percentage of targets where the primary defender that... uh, when the primary defender that uh, near the receiver either caught or dropped the ball when the pass was catchable. The receiver either caught or dropped the ball. So 95% of the time, the receiver in Blake Martinez's area is getting his hands on the ball. And their only reason that it's not worse, the only reason he's not giving up more than 89% of the passes, uh, or more than an 89% completion rate is because people are just dropping the ball. Incidentally, this is a significant uh, increase for Martinez over last year. Uh, last year, the actual completion percentage against him, according to Pro Football Reference, was just 73%, but the deserved catch rate was about the same. So Martinez, who I thought had a good season last year, actually could have just been significantly worse because players just were dropping the ball more. That's kind of depressing. Uh, the old bugaboo with with Martinez was that he doesn't make plays on the ball. That's something we brought up, and uh, I think that has remained true this season. Our ball hawks stat tracks four ways guys make plays on the ball. Sacks, passes, defense, interceptions, and fumbles force. Currently, Blake Martinez has just two on the season, which would be a career low for his entire season by a considerable margin. Those two ball hawks are a sack and a forced fumble, which logic would indicate, and the box score as well, that he has made zero plays on the ball in the passing game. He has not defended a pass. He has not intercepted a pass. This, again, is a career low. Last year, he had eight overall ball hawks between sacks, all the other stuff. In 2017, he has 11, or he had 11. So he's been slowly making fewer impact plays the farther into his career he goes. Not the trend you want to see, especially if you're Blake Martinez in a contract year. Then you've got those replaceable skills. Well, for everything else about Blake Martinez, he is on the field a lot. He's over 99% of the snaps played, or 98%. He's missed a handful of snaps so far this year, and he's hit 100% or been close to it in most of the, the seasons he's played so far. That is a plus. Not a huge one but a plus nonetheless. He also wears the communications helmet for the Packers defense. That's fine. And look, I don't want to say it's not important, 
but Dom Capers let HaHa Clinton Dix wear it. Take that for whatever it's worth. So just assuming that Blake Martinez is not having a good season, how can the Packers get better? Short of Blake Martinez playing better, what else can the Packers do? Let's start with Ibrahim Campbell. He's coming off the physically unable to perform list this week. And Tony asks, when and where is Campbell going to fit in? It seems like he's going to need to make an immediate impact, and that's a touch worrisome. Let's answer the second part first here. Yep, that is worrisome. If you're counting on on a guy who tore his ACL 11 months ago and just came off the physically unable to perform list this week, making an impact on your defense, your defense might be in trouble. As to where or how much he might play, look to Will Redmond. He, when Darnell Savage has been in the lineup, he has been the third safety. And presumably, uh, that is where Ibrahim Campbell is going to look to be playing. This would be Raven Green's spot, but that ship has long sails. It's long sailed. Uh, so, looking to Will Redmond... That means Ibrahim Campbell's probably going to play 20 to 25 snaps. I think it will probably take him a couple weeks to get to that level. But if he plays that sort of third safety role, it's probably going to be in that two dozen or so snap range. How effective he will be is an open question. I wouldn't count on him a ton. But based on the limited look we got at him last year, he'll be assignment sure, he'll play hard, and he won't screw up when the opportunity to make a tackle comes his way. As a larger point, I think the loss of Raven Green has been a distressingly large part of their problems, both against tight ends and the run game. It seemed like the Packers were real solid in week one, and admittedly they were playing against Mitchell Trubisky, started real strong in week two, and have then since sort of slowly tailed off. After Raven Green went out against the Vikings, things seem to have just gotten progressively worse for the Packers on defense. And you don't want to pin it all on one guy, one second-year undrafted free agent, it should be noted. But still, it just has not really improved for the Packers or really stabilized since then. It's just kind of gotten worse. But wait, what about Oren Burks in all of this? Monsme asks, surely a lot also depends on Burks. He asked this question as a follow-up uh, to Tony asking about Campbell. Uh, surely a lot depends on Burks, Monsme asks, or is he being written off? Well, a lot would depend on him if he could actually get on the field, and he hasn't been able to do that so far this year. And I don't know if he's being written off by the Packers, by Raven Green, or by, not Raven Green, by Mike Pettin or whoever, But I'm not sure how it would look different if he was being written off. I mean, say he's not being written off right now. And then they decided, yeah, you know what? We're just done with Oren Burks. It wouldn't be that different. He'd be down from eight snaps a game to zero. Okay, wow, big change. That's that's a real setback for the defense. Yep, Oren Burks not going to play those eight snaps a game anymore. So... Broadly speaking, do Campbell or Burks actually fix anything for the Packers' defense? Christopher asks, does Burks or Campbell's play resolve this issue that's been present since Raven Green's departure? And we've kind of alluded to this. I don't think so, at least not right away. Campbell's going to need a couple weeks, and there's no reason right now I don't think that Burks is going to become the answer for the Packers at any point this year, or maybe at any point in the future. Or, for that matter, he may not even get a shot to be the answer. Mike Pettin hasn't made a lot of 
uh, an indication that he is going to get future chances to really, really play a lot more. And I don't know how he gets a chance to turn it around or how he's able to turn it around if that doesn't happen. There is one other option here. And I realize we are leaving B.J. Goodson out of this discussion, but B.J. Goodson is kind of a pretty known commodity. He's big, slowish, hard-hitting, run-stuffing linebacker type. And nobody's really counting on him to be that more playmaking linebacker in the Packers defense. So Chris asked about Ty Summers. Or Crit, excuse me, I, I, I said your name wrong, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Although inconsistent, he asked, would you be opposed to giving Ty Summers a shot along Goodson? He at least shows more burst than Blake. Yeah, I think that is true. He's probably a better athlete than Blake Martinez. I would at least see what he's capable of doing out there. So far this season, Ty Summers has played a grand total of zero snaps on defense. He's not even getting the Oren Burks package right now. He does play a lot on special teams, but he really hasn't gotten any opportunities at all on defense, and I'm not entirely sure why that is. He wasn't great in the preseason. He was pretty inconsistent as far as making tackles, but you're not getting a lot done from that position anyway. Why not try something else? For all of the good things that he does, Mike Pettin does seem to have, quote-unquote, his guys. And if you're not one of his guys, he's just not going to work with you at all, despite having talked, dating back to his time with the New York Jets, about finding things for guys to do. He thinks that you can use just about anybody on defense, but if you're not somebody he wants to work with, he's just not going to do it. Look at what happened to Montrevious Adams last year. He just didn't play because Mike Pettin didn't like him. Now, there were good reasons not to like him, but he didn't even give him a chance to get out of the doghouse. It seems like maybe Ty Summers is in a little bit of that situation. He just doesn't think he can do it, and he's not going to give him a chance. Kind of related to this, what I would have liked to see this year is Curtis Bolton. Remember him, the undrafted rookie out of Oklahoma? He was really doing pretty solid in the preseason, getting a lot of opportunities, and then he tore up his knee late in the preseason, and that is a real shame. Football is just an absolutely cruel game sometime because it looked like he was going places, at least – he, he was in a position to have a significant opportunity early in the season. Just a real bummer there. Maybe the Packers bring him back at some point next year uh, for another look. I just hope he gets an opportunity somewhere because being that close, having that roster spot, apparently, at least from my perspective, having that roster spot all but locked up and then tearing up your knee and then not even getting put on injured reserve, just cut, saying, well, see you later. Hope you get better. That's it. If that's how his career ended, man, the rest of his life is going to be just one big, long what if. Long term, though, how can this get better? Second part of Crit, Crit's question. Actually, this is the first part. He, uh, I just rearranged it a little bit to fit with the, the flow of the podcast a little bit. He asks, are there any impact-free agents or rookie prospects that we could pursue after the season? This is where this whole thing gets really tricky, I think. You've got the question about whether or not you re-sign Blake Martinez. But you've also, oh, you've also got some other questions should you decide not to do that. Free agents, obviously, the first option there, as Crit points out. As a rule, it is best to assume that free agents that you actually have the chance to sign are not the cream of the crop at their position. They may not even be any good in the first place. That's why they're free agents. Now, the Packers proved that 
is not always the case this offseason. They hit the jackpot at least twice in the offseason with the with the Smiths. But that kind of impact is so rare. Just hitting that consistently is just not something that happens a whole lot across the NFL as a whole. Generally, as the saying goes, you're paying A-plus contracts to B-plus players. Look at the Packers' other two free agent signings this offseason, Billy Turner and Adrian Amos. That's not taking anything away from them, but they are not among the best players at their positions. They're better than what the Packers had at right guard and safety, but they're not necessarily... You wouldn't want to build a whole roster, even a large part of your roster, paying them the kind of money at their positions, at all positions. You're paying kind of a premium there for guys who are mid-level starters. So are there free agents that could be available? I'm not sure. I am skeptical. Just as a look, here's Track's list of pending free agents who made the most money in 2019 among inside linebackers. And again, they might not have all this categorized correct, correctly. Uh, Kyle Van Noy, for instance, in, in New England is, is not necessarily a pure inside linebacker. But this this will get us started. So I, I sorted by most money because I'm assuming this these were guys who were considered by the league to be at least on the, the plus side of their position. And probably also these are going to be third contract guys for the most part, part too. Guys who are going to make maybe a little bit less than they're making currently, but still probably a bit of a premium since they're close to the end of their career, but they are established players. So here are the here is the top of what Spotrex sees as the free agent market. You've got Danny Trevathan in Chicago. He's 30. Kyle Van Noy. Wesley Woodyard out of Tennessee. Corey Littleton of the Rams. Patrick Ouser out of Baltimore. Darren Lee out of Kansas City. Ryan Shazier out of Pittsburgh. That's a no. Darren Bates from Tennessee, also 29. And then Joe Thomas from Dallas, who has spent time in the in Green Bay already and who is hardly a premium solution at the position. You see why this is a little bit of a challenge? Now, there probably are some guys who are just finishing up their rookie deals who could be better options, and I'm sure there are. I'm not familiar enough with the state of inside linebacker play across the NFL to really make a projection there. But among the guys who have at least at one point already been considered good at this position, that's pretty, pretty darn slim pickings. So let's just say that's a soft no on free agent signings there. All right, that's not an option. What about the draft? Well, this is also tricky because look at what the Packers have done at inside linebacker over the past few years. The Packers have drafted four of these guys since 2014. Jake Ryan, Blake Martinez, Oren Burks, and Ty Summers. None of those guys have been picked before the third round. And I think there's a couple good reasons for that. First, the Packers have not tended historically to value inside linebackers very much. Kind of an organizational decision. Is that a good one? Is that not? I'm not sure. The balance of evidence says probably yes, because you can find inside linebackers elsewhere. But if you're trying to really fix that position, you might have to go higher than that third round, first or second round. But secondly, inside linebacker, I think, tends to be a pretty shallow position. The guys who play off the ball linebacker tend to be either just edge rushers who are too stubby to be outside linebackers or edge rushers in the NFL, or guys that are too big and maybe a tad too slow to be safeties in the NFL. It's kind of the second base of the NFL. Second basemen are really just failed shortstops or 
maybe first basemen who are a little bit too short or outfielders who are a little bit too slow. You don't just become a second baseman because you want to play second base. Generally, you play second base because you can't play anywhere else. That's not to say there aren't great inside linebackers who specialize at that position, but generally speaking, it's guys who ended up there because they were not great fits elsewhere. Those guys who are actual good fits tend to go pretty early. So if you want a good one, you have to pick one early. And do you want to spend a first or second round pick on an inside linebacker? Maybe in a vacuum, but let me put it to you this way. The Packers also have some needs at wide receiver. Would you pass up taking a wide receiver in the first or second round to take an inside linebacker? For the sake of argument, let's say that you would. Dane Brugler of The Athletic just released his top 100 players at this point of the season, for whatever that's worth. And if we're we're projecting towards the draft, a one or a two would be roughly in the first 60 picks or so of the draft. Currently, Brugler only has two inside linebackers in his top 60. Here they are. Isaiah Simmons, out of Clemson, is his ninth best player in the top 100. 6'3", 228, 40-yard dash time of 4.55. Brugler writes, is Simmons a better safety or linebacker? Or maybe he's better in the nickel. Regardless, smart defensive coordinators find a role for his versatile skill set. With his blend of length, athleticism, and toughness, Simmons is the ideal modern-day defender. Now, to me, that sounds pretty great. That sounds exactly like what the Packers could use in the middle of their defense. Catches, that also sounds like a top 15 pick or so, generously speaking, maybe top 10. If the draft was today, the Packers would be picking 27th. The chances that they even have a shot to think about Isaiah Simmons without trading up seem to be pretty slim. I realize there could be a fall, realize the Packers could move up in the draft yet, but that seems like it may be a little bit out of reach. Okay, anybody else? Yes, one other player in the top 60. Coming in at 48th in his top 100, Brugler's top 100, you've got Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma. 6'2", 243, runs a 4, 6'7", 40-yard dash. Brugler writes of him with his aggressive play style and sideline-to-sideline range, Murray is a fun player to watch hunt. There are some questions about his tackling strike zone and ability to shed blocks, but his energy directly leads to production. Now, here we are. Already down at 48, almost out of the top 50 in the draft. And we're talking about a guy as a potential first or second round pick to fix the Packers inside linebacker situation, whose main attributes include problems with tackling and getting off blocks. That's a problem, for one thing. And it also sounds a heck of a lot like Blake Martinez already. So are we just going to fall into that sort of cycle again? It's a frustrating situation because you can see a screaming need for more playmaking in the front seven. More playmaking specifically up the middle of the Packers' short defense. Blake Martinez doesn't seem to be the the answer right now. And it doesn't look like there's another answer on the roster for the Packers. They may have to pay a little bit more for one of those B-plus players or take a swing at a guy in that first or second round if they really want to get this thing fixed. For right now, though, I wouldn't count on it turning around.
That's all I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you taking a second to listen in. Everybody who takes the time to download one of our episodes or listen on YouTube, wherever you find us, thank you. If you like what you heard and want to help us keep things going, the best way to support what we do is to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. It helps more people find the show. If you want to take that support to the next level, easiest way to do that is through Patreon, patreon.com slash thepowersweep. A buck per month is what we ask. That offsets some of our costs doing this entire operation and helps us continue to build the content that you love. And don't forget to check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you have an idea for the show, you want to say hi, or you want to leave a comment or just some feedback on the show, check us out uh, through the contact page at thepowersweep.com or through one of our social media pages. Doing so will put you in contact with us and maybe give us an opportunity to answer one of your questions, which there's a good chance somebody else may be thinking about as well. That, in turn, helps us further our mission of helping everyone become smarter Packers fans because, as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.